You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Lisa Lutz is the author of the Spellman File series, which includes The Spellman Files, The Curse of the Spellmans, Revenge of the Spellmans, The Spellman Strike Again, Trail of the Spellmans, and Spellman Six, The Next Generation. She's also the author of The Swallows, The Passengers, How to Start a Fire, How to Negotiate Everything, and Heads You Lose with David Hayward. Her new novel is The Accomplice. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. So great to talk to you, Rick. This is a wonderful novel on many levels. And for me, one of the, the first things that struck me about it was that it we in society get by on a number of relationships, one-to-one. And often, in general, we look at you know men who are friends, women who are friends, Men who are married to women, men who are married to men, women who are married to women, the the whole range. A relationship that is often unexamined or not often examined is a relationship of a, a strict friendship between a man and a woman. And, and that's what she presents us with in this book called The Accomplice. Uh, Owen and Lisa talk about developing a that kind of relationship as a primary uh, core of a novel. It's a a different approach. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's something that I thought about as being different. It was, I mean, I I do tend to to like to write about friendships, uh, maybe friendships that feel a little unusual, but in this particular case, I... It felt very natural. I think, you know, most women I know do have, like, some very sort of intense but platonic friendships with men. But it is, it is, there is a phenomenon about it that makes it very different in that, like, there's a lot that you're not understanding really about the person or, or maybe, like, my friendships with men have informed my opinion of men. Um, in some ways, or at least I've learned about men that way, but, uh, there is a choice with those relationships because it is, it is platonic and there are certain things you have to, I mean, there, there's just a, a, a way it can be closer because you're figuring things out. Like with my women friends, I feel like there's much more that I understand. Um, but I, I guess I, it felt like the right thing to do because because there are some sort of, especially with Owen and Luna, the main characters in the book, there are ways that Luna doesn't fully understand Owen's behavior. So it creates enough distance that it worked well in, in terms of a crime novel. I, I thought that one of the things about crime novels, too, is it's often a straightforward here's the crime who who did it and with your novel it's really uh almost an existential (laughs) in a sense look (laughs) at at how little we ever know about anybody else period and and i thought that that was really and the way you reveal this vision um it comes off in layers so that on one hand the novel is super fun and a really breezy easy read until it has you in a grip uh, that's extremely tight and fairly terrifying so uh, talk about just the ascent writing a book again in a sense that's uh, almost existential in its look at how little we ever know about any other human other than what they tell us well, I always like to think of, like, so for me, a crime novel is really just a frame to hang any other story I want to tell on it. So what I like about crime novels is there's, like, you're you're basically promising the reader that there's going to be a plot. 
there's going to be something to keep them hooked. But then I am free to explore any subject I want. And I, I definitely, I'm, I'm constantly fascinated by what you just spoke of, which is just the idea that you can never really know someone and how, I mean, I think we've all had this experience where you've known someone for years and then you find out something new, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, it, it kind of shakes you because it stops being about the other person and it, it becomes about like your own opinion of how you see things. Like we're always so sure of our opinions, but then when we get it wrong, we have to rethink everything else. And I, it was like so much of the book hung on that basic idea of like a constant shift we have to make um, about our interpretations of others. You know, I, I think you do such a wonderful job of integrating this kind of really deep and odd, odd perspective. <laughs> odd perspective, <laughs> because in, in books, you know, you we're generally given characters and we know them and we kind of put together the pieces, even in mysteries. And and I think that the, uh, the your approach to this book is kind of at first seems very lighthearted and we go oh this is charming these people are friends and they all have friends and they all have these friends have mates and as you weave those layers together i wonder how much of this did you know going in and how much just came out in in terms of your writing i mean i i will i don't like to start a book until i have a certain frame but it is thin and it's usually open to I mean there's definitely a lot of wiggle room so I had a very 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 light outline starting and then I think then it becomes about finding the things that keep me interested as I write and you know you work out the characters I I tend to work out a lot as I write but I do like a certain frame um, when I begin and I had, I had the ending, which was helpful. So I sort of knew where I was going, but I didn't really know anything in between. Um, there were secrets. So it's like, sometimes, you know, okay, well, this person has a secret. This is why they're withholding something. This person's behaving this way. I, I do tend to like, I really like seeing a behavior that doesn't make sense. And then eventually revealing uh, why, because I've, feel like with everything like I can you know I can just watch someone on a street corner and they will do a number of things that make no sense to me and it sometimes it just drives me crazy when I can't I just you know if you don't know someone you can't ask them you know why they did whatever they did I wish I had a really good example right now of some very strange stranger behavior but uh that's the sort of thing I, you know, it's, I'm always trying to figure things out with people. Everyone's a mystery. So it's kind of, it's, it, it's fun to be able to explore that any way you want when you write a book. You know, um, one of the things that I think you do really well in all your novels is you write fantastic dialogue. Really, it reads like you're, in the conversation it's very very immediate could you do you are you an eavesdropper (laughs) or do (laughs) do you you record people or do you just listen or do you just make it up in your head i mean i am an eavesdropper i definitely i mean it's very hard for me to do i'm an eavesdropper and then i also assume other people are eavesdroppers which is a whole other problem. Like I, if I'm on a public transportation or something with a friend, I mean, I will have the quietest. I mean, I will like mumble where we're going for lunch. I mean, it's like, I don't want anyone to know anything about me because I always, I'm such a weirdo about that. Yeah. I eavesdrop. I, but I also just think it's one of those things where I like a conversation to be a certain way. And, um, you know, that's it's just something, I, you know, I... When you say that, do you mean, like, the conversations you have or the conversations you write or both? 
No, I'm not a tyrant when I have a conversation with people. I'm like, no, no, no. You change the phrasing of that. No, 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 that's terrible. But uh, when I write conversations, there's just a certain rhythm I hear. Um, I don't tend to write speeches too often. So it's very, it's, you know, it's, it's a certain type of thing. But I, I need to hear the rhythm of it. It drives me crazy if it doesn't, if I don't hear that. Um, but I also do think I just have a good ear for what sounds reasonable because I read a lot of dialogue in books and I'm like, wow, this is just awful. And I've never heard if somebody spoke to me like that, I'd punch them. You know, you know. <laughs> I, I won't ask you who you don't like, but will you tell me whose dialogue you do like? Oh, um, gosh, that's a tough question because it's like I can't even. Uh, I mean, all the examples tend to come from like uh, movies or TV or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I would say Phoebe Waller-Bridge is like, to me, genius. Well, you know, one of the things I think that is interesting that you are saying is that you like your conversations to have a rhythm. And I hadn't thought about it until just now, but it's almost in a sense like you're writing lyrics to a, you know, a, a pretty fast-paced rock and roll song. And <laughs> and you could probably even uh, reset some of your conversations as music. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. But I, I don't know. It's, it is something that... I, you know, when I was younger and I first started, like, um, writing or being interested in writing, I think I've read a lot of plays and I, my, the first thing I ever really wrote was a screenplay. So I, for me, it was really, all my writing started with dialogue. So it's just the thing I feel like I'm the best at and I'm the most comfortable with, uh. Have you written but yeah, I mean, for the movies or, or TV? Well, the very first thing I, I ever, like, had done was I I wrote a movie. It's, it's really bad, called Plan B. That was made. And that's that's the reason I ended up writing novels, because after it was made, it was I couldn't get any anywhere with the screenplays. So I, I decided, because I had written this Bellman Files as a screenplay, so I, then I decided that I would write it as a novel since no one would read the screenplay. And that's how this whole career started. So it's great. Well, I think you do a wonderful job. I, I, the books are so enjoyable. And one of the things I was thinking too, is that you like write about an eighth of an inch above what would, what one might call minimalism. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's not, you, you don't do formal minimalism in your books, but it's, like I say, it's about an eighth of an inch above that. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if you ever thought of your approach in that in terms or um, if uh, you are just trying to be economical, I guess is the word. Well, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could, claim it was like deliberate exactly i i was at a, one of my readings and someone in the audience like complimented me on how i don't use big words blah 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 and and i said you know if i knew more words i'd use them <laughs> so i the issue for me is actually like a i i don't feel like i have a natural talent for prose so what i do is i the way I look at my writing is I've done a really good job at working around my limitations. So I will, every once in a while I'll, I'll have a fit where I can actually write a really great paragraph, but it also tends to be a different kind of paragraph than like a, a, an, an excellent writer would do. Um, so it's always about finding that way in. Uh, I always think about like um, how they say you can rewire your brain. Well, 
that's what I feel like I'm always doing with the book. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know how to say this the right way. So I'm going to, like, find this other way to say it. It's almost like uh, Brian Eno's approach to music, kind of (laughs) uh, not necessarily a minimalist, but ambient, I I suppose, because you're feeling your books feel very natural. It's like you, you put a conversation in an imaginary or put a microphone and and a camera in an imaginary world that's a lot like ours but you capture it exactly as we might in our memory capture this world and and that's important the idea of what we can remember and what we can discern because that's a part of you as you said your plot the way you structure your mysteries yeah no definitely um I mean, I, yeah, I mean, memory, I actually think about a lot as well. It's and perspective, like the limits of memory, the limits of what we can see. I mean, memory become, I don't even know if I, I did it that much with this book, but I often think about how I personally always have to remember that what I'm remembering could be very wrong. You know, that's really interesting. And one of the things, too, about perspective that this book really picks up on, and that that's something that is only, I don't think, hardly ever uh, addressed in crime fiction, and it's a big part of the actual experience of crime, is how the people who are not necessarily, who don't seem to be directly in the line of crime, which is to say either the victims or the perpetrators or the cops or maybe somebody who's married to somebody who who is the victim of a crime. But the people who are in the general vicinity of a crime and have some direct experience with the people who are the victims, um, I think those people have a develop a strange relationship with both the victim and the other people in the vicinity. It's almost like the reverse of a, of a church, where as in a church, all the people are united by their faith. The people who are in the vicinity of a crime are perforce united by, their, by a lack of faith, which is to say that somebody you thought would never either be the perpetrator or the victim of a crime all of a sudden is and it upsets your entire worldview which is something that you play with really well in this book i mean yeah there is a ripple effect with anything but with crime it's 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 not a ripple it's a wave it's so i mean I think, I mean, I mean, it's funny because it's like when you said that, it made me think, do I do that enough? Do I recognize how how things affect a broader scope than, you know, than just the main characters? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there are a number of crimes or adjacent crimes in this book, but and I, you know, and they affect a lot of people. But, you know, there were other characters that I probably could have gone into. Um, One of the things I think you do really so well is to show the fact that crimes, you know, are often of short duration and our involvement with them is uh, seems apparently of short duration. But the effect is life life-changing and lasts through a lifetime, at least in, you know, the vague and unreliable trappings of memory. And I think in this book, you do a great job of layering in very slowly and very carefully, almost like a chef, like make adding like different flavors to a meal to to the very end where we find out there's a lot of red meat <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in this meal. And, and we weren't expecting it. We thought we were having like, you know, flaky ball of clava and we ended up with you know maybe a a bit of a a just steak cooked just right but still (laughs) i i I think uh i think i know what you're talking about i i with the spellman books i used to always 
describe them as substantial fluff. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Or like vitamin fortified cotton candy. Um, but <laughs> although that does sound like it's not a good idea. Um, but I don't like I don't um, prescribe to that notion that comedy is inherently lighter than anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand it's perceived that way, but I would tell all those people they're wrong. And it's just a, it's just a different front. And I, I'm always sort of surprised when I read a book that is entirely humorless or, or I, I don't understand when, um, tonally people expect, uh, like to me, it's unrealistic to have a book where nobody cracks a joke and nobody's amusing or weird or, you know, that that's the thing I, I don't find true. And it makes me wonder, like, who are you hanging out with? Because everybody I know is a weirdo. And so I've just decided very early on that I was going to kind of write however I needed to write to feel engaged with the characters and um but it does it it does come off light in some ways and there there is obviously there's some effort involved in like finding the right tone to like for it because whatever I think is sort of irrelevant I am aware that people read the book and you know they have to take it seriously on some level but you know, I, I've always liked things. I've always liked that shift between comedy and drama because it feels to me, uh, richer. And I think the darker elements uh, feel stronger after you've had a lighter moment. Not everyone agrees with that, but that, I think that's partly why I mean, my favorite movies, the things I've liked the most have been, have had a, a lot of comedy, and yet they've been really moving, too. Well, I think, too, one of the things I think that's interesting about this book is it reads so naturally, and you just, like, swim right through it, and it's fun. But when, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking the construction of the book, which involves, you know, two timelines, essentially— is extremely crafty, extremely detailed and rich, just in and of it itself. So, given that kind of dual, the dual timelines of the book, was that um, something that required a, a lot of adjusting and, and changing, or was it spontaneous for you? And I think that the the way it lays out too is that it, it speaks to this idea of how we both live in the present and also simultaneously we're stuck. Like sometimes 10 years, 20 years, 35 years back, maybe. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. I mean, so there are different ways to like talk about this. But um, so from a writing perspective, uh, you could say that it's, um, I wrote it in a, some sort of natural way like when I write books that are are not in a one straight timeline I do tend to actually write them in the order you read them for the most part uh that said so and I kind of trust my gut as I go along but no matter what by the time I get to revising it becomes a hellscape trying to keep things straight and it is like every single time I write a book that has a wonky timeline, I tell myself never again. And then every time I set out to write a story, I realize, ah, that's a really good way to do it. And I start all over again. So, but the, 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 the tricky part with these dual timelines is especially in, in this book where it's sort of almost like two parallel timelines. There's some other, um, moments in time that that get sort of woven in but they're basically two parallel timelines and two either a murder or a suspicious death in either one of those and 
it, I've read books with this before where you have two timelines and then one timeline you don't want to read. You're just bored by. And so that's the big trick. Um, figuring out, especially if one timeline doesn't have a, like a full on murder in it, how do you keep people engaged? And so that's, that's the balancing act. That's the thing you constantly have to revise and figure out. I, I love your sense of family in this book. And, and because we have, you do a great job of explaining how the families we are given kind of drift away into the families we make for ourselves. Yet the two are always tied together. So I'd like you to, and of course the Spellman books are, are all about family. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, so talk about the import of a family and maybe discuss your understanding, which it seems rich and full of, of how families can change the people within them and how the people within them change the family. I mean, I, I, do, I like writing about families for a number of reasons, but families can really ultimately mean anything. It can mean a group of people who choose to hang out. Um, it, you know, like Owen and Luna, they become family. Um, and then I also like writing about, like, you know, real fictional families like the Spellmans. But it's really, it's just that when you write about people who've known each other a long time, there's a lot more you can play with um, because the, the tiniest thing can be an interesting moment. You know, if somebody does something out of character, if you're a stranger or if you've just met the person, you don't know it's out of character. And so then you can't sort of have someone be questioning behavior and like wondering like, why, why are you doing this? Or, you know, it's there's just so there's so much nuance you can work with, and uh, and we, you know, with families especially, we have expectations for people, and they can be met or unmet. Um, but I like to write about anything that's sort of uh, an unusual relationship. But I do tend to like to write about people who know each other, um, or yeah. Yeah. It's just something I'm interested in. Do you write when you're writing? Do you always know it's going to be a novel? Do you ever think, well, maybe this is a short story and write like part of a novel is a short story and say, oh, no, I'm not. This is not a short story. Because I think there are so many interesting stories within your novels. You have a really wonderful sense of the stories we tend to think of a story as beginning middle end beginning middle end and really it's more like somebody takes like a, a, a chain you know chain links and throws them all on the table and they fall in a, in a weird pattern you could straighten it all out and have one chain from beginning to end but if you throw it on the table all the chain links are on top of one another and you might not even know that that whole story exists until you snap it together which is the true joy of reading your books because you do a hell of a job at snapping it together at the very <laughs> end of the book um well actually so i since i started writing novels other than like the few like tv things I've worked on, I've really only written novels and, and a friend has, you know, has suggested trying to write a short story. And I feel like, uh, it's weird because I do tend to have anecdotes or smaller stories in, in my books. And I, I like writing them, but I always feel like utterly incapable of writing a short story. Uh, I only think in terms of novels. I feel like I need that room um, to do what I, to, I think what I need is like, I don't think I can write that well unless I, I have the space to, to, to really like, to really go into something in depth. Um, 
I could be wrong, but it, it always feels like the right format for me. Also, there's a lot of wiggle room with novels. Um, I, I'm of the school that there's, there's nothing you can or can't do as long as you keep people reading. And so I think when I write a novel, it, it, there's something very freeing about that. And I write the best when my mind feels sort of untethered in any way. I, I think you also have uh, an inclination and it serves your writing very well to keep things very low key where there's, I mean, I, I can't imagine you doing a, a superhero story or probably you could, but it'd be very different from any other superhero <laughs> story because all, all the people we meet seem like people in your novels seem like people we might meet. All the things that happen seem like things that might happen in somebody's lives. And I think you do a great job of tying all those things into a story. But really, what happens in any like 10 pages is stuff that could happen to any person in any life, any day. And I think that makes your novels approachable, readable, really enjoyable, because we really like all these people we meet, even if... At some point, they proved to be <laughs> uh, mildly <laughs> reprehensible. Right. I mean, I, I really am. I need the plausible. I get really like. I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, and I'm I'm really big on exceptions. But um, when I read an a preposterous crime novel, I just can't take it seriously in any way. Um, and, and I cannot stand way too many coincidences, stuff like that. It drives me bananas. So I, I'm constantly like checking things for being reasonable or not. Um, and I, I also think that when you write a crime novel and you're kind of trying to talk about human nature, it, it, it doesn't help to have something that doesn't feel like it could happen in reality. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I could also see a situation where I want to write something that's super over the top and insane. But for now, this is where, this is what I've been doing. Well, I, I, I would love to, <laughs> to read you. Anytime you, you were, I feel inclined to go super over the top and insane, make sure that I'm on the list. Um, you know, too, I, I think that you conceive of all of your characters. This is one thing that annoys me sometimes is that you read a novel and you'll say, the author just doesn't like this character. Either they're going to die and, well, you'll feel well shut of them, or they're going to kill somebody and they'll prove to be as despicable as we thought. And I think it's interesting. I think the most, the best writing comes from an author who's really engaged. Every time you, we go to or a scene with whoever we're, we're, you're talking about, we really like those people, even if they're, you know, we can tell from the get-go that they're somewhat despicable. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, talk about writing about people you like and making despicable people still, you know, kind of engaging to be around and fun to read about. I mean, I think that's the big thing. Like, I think ultimately you can't really hate any of your characters. If you hate them, um, then they're, it's not just that you get, because if you hate your characters, the effect isn't that your readers hate them. The effect is that your readers don't care about them. I think that's often what happens. I also, every once in a while, you'll you'll read something where, like what you were talking about, which is basically like the author creating a sort of um, a moral judgment on all of the characters in the book, where, where as you said, if the character seems awful then they kill someone or they do something awful and then something awful happens to them as if it's okay like that makes it okay and that's how life works which is insane because 
that is not life. Um, and, and that always feels to me like, aside from being like simplistic and like, uh, weirdly moralizing, uh, it just is, is wrong. You're not reflecting reality. And I mean, I, I don't understand why you write if you're not trying to reflect reality in some way. So I think for me, even if I start out knowing I'm going to have a character go a certain way and ultimately I feel I don't know how to get into that person, eventually I have to find a way to like the person. I mean, I remember working on a book and this wasn't, we're not talking about a bad character in any moral sense, but a character that I was not writing as well as the other characters because she wasn't. She just wasn't to me as interesting. And my editor saw this and was just like, you have to find a way to get into her heart or let her into your heart. And, and it took me a really long time. And, and I had to find things about her that I could explore so that she made, she made some sense to me. You know, it's interesting, the phrase you used, uh, your editor used, let her into your heart. Uh, and that made me think that writing is so often seen as a, you know, an ivory tower, do it up by yourself, toil away in in the wooden cabin, which may in fact be what is done, but the production, right, that may be writing, but making a novel is not that. So uh, it, it requires that, you have somebody at some point before publication is probably going to read that novel in a state that may or may not resemble what is ultimately published. Can talk about you know the collaborative nature of of writing for you at least it sounds like. Yeah, I mean for me it's. I think I mean I've never I've never been clear on uh, how much more editing I need than other writers. I mean I hear stories about writers who who've been at it a while and they um, they turn things in and and basically no one's really allowed to edit them. But it shows. I mean I yeah yeah it's it's very it's baffling to me. But I and I think I might be the extreme opposite where so I. I can't remember if I had I overheard my agent say this or I read it in an email, but they were talking about a draft I turned in and my agent just said, oh, yeah, that's just a typical Lisa Lutz first draft. And what she meant was uh, it's really rough and it'll get better. But what I realized at that point was that not every writer does this. Like, it's not that I – like, I definitely – feel uneasy. It's not like I turn it in thinking, oh, this is good. I turn it in thinking, I can't look at this anymore. It's your problem now. And <laughs> and that's this feeling I always really look forward to, even if I know it's a mess. Um, so I've never written a book that hasn't gone through many, many revisions. Um, and there they can be really awful for me, but uh, a lot of things in this book uh, came during later drafts. So there's uh, at the beginning of the book, there's a murder and uh, the person who's murdered, we don't get too into in my very early draft. And then later on, I, that became a big part of the revisions. Like, getting into the, the victim and figuring out who she was and adding layers into her character. Um, there were, there are even often big sort of um, plot twists that get added in later versions for me, but every single book tends to go through this sort of thing. So I don't know how other writers manage to figure it out or mostly figure it out on their first draft, or maybe they're just like, disciplined enough to keep at it a little longer than I do. Um, but yeah, that's been my process for, I guess this is the 
11th book, maybe 12th. I don't know, but something like that. You know, one thing I think you do really well is to write about um, people who are in that age from late adolescence, but clearly not yet mature, um, to, you know, the point in their 30s or 40s where they actually grow up and that part in between. And, and so talk about choosing to write about characters who are not set in stone, but who will change in the time perspective during which you will write about them. Are those changes things that happen on the paper? Do they happen in your brain beforehand? Do they happen if you overhear a conversation say, that my character would never say that? Well, wait, maybe they should. I mean, I... It's interesting. I, I I definitely like to write about people who are not like fully evolved, but I don't know that I think of them as being like, like I think what I've realized getting older is like everybody sort of, no one really grows up. So <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as constantly like Schrodinger's cat except for um, I'm in the box and at one end of the box is the 18 year old me, uh, a completely, you know, gaga adolescent. And the other end of the box is an 85 year old, uh, old man, me. And, you know, at any one moment you may get 18 or 85, but, or some like unfortunate, uh, uh combination of the two. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I don't even know that that's something I can articulate because I don't even think of it. I, what I what I will say I think about a lot is sort of like when people, I mean, it, there's sort of a moment where you look at someone in their one way and then there's a change. And I guess I've, I'm fascinated by bringing uh, between those two timelines and then turning the later character into a mystery based on, you know what I mean? Like, like how all of us is going to, how all we, how we turn out is all, always a mystery. And that, if you look at it a certain way, it can be very, very compelling. I mean, my book, How to Start a Fire was all about that. And I am definitely really fascinated by that idea. Um, but I hope, I think of that less in terms of age and more in terms of uh, uh, situations that have happened in life. So one of the things about Owen is that, like, there's a certain way he is when he's younger that he isn't really when he gets older. It's it's subtle, but he didn't turn out the way you would think younger Owen might have turned out. At least that's how I see him. So I, I, I definitely like contrasting different moments in time and seeing how how people change and how sometimes we always think of it as being predictable but I think it it isn't um, most of the time and, and I think too you do write well about uh, people in college and I think that's such an interesting time of our lives because on one hand we're expected to feel and act totally mature and on the other hand, we're also expected by our peers to act like crazy kids. And, <laughs> yeah. And this is a, 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 a level of behavior that can, uh, the, the crazy kid part can survive much longer than one might anticipate it to survive. And in its survival, it may not prove as charming in age as it is in youth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people are, but there's a certain level of college crazy that um, is fascinating and obnoxious. And, but it also like helps people figure out like how to, how to get through the rest of their lives. Um, it's sort of like, you know, it's like the hangover, not the movie, but like a hangover, like, uh, you know, you want to have fun, you want to enjoy yourself, but at some point you have to realize there's a price to pay. And so 
that so much of college is about figuring out like how much of that price do you want to pay keep paying um so i don't know it's a time where people are so so much less filtered that it tends to be fun to to write about them same as older people like i've had a lot of older characters and and they're often less filtered and and they can also be fun too um well that that's an interesting vision i think of a human life that we're essentially drinking party goers the first part of our life and we spend the 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 second half of our lives in in essentially a hangover from whatever we did with the first 35 years oh my god i hope that's not what (laughs) but maybe it is i had a lot of people comment on the drinking in the book and i didn't even notice it so i didn't uh, either really was it unusually a lot I Maybe think people this... felt that way. Huh. But I also think the circumstances were very specific. You had people in college, hence lots of drinking. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, older people, and there were there was uh, sort of funerals and, like, really sort of intense things going on in their life. So, uh, you know, it seemed reasonable to me. Uh, I, I love the way you use the, 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 the crime genre to just essentially examine human beings and human spirit, but not in a Dostoevskian manner. It's a more the manner, of, <laughs> more the manner of Kurt Vonnegut, somebody who, who who has had fun and knows the virtues of fun. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, for me, it's just like sort of a a. It's just for me. I think of it as tone, and tone. It, I think sometimes it's really about your character. So I don't understand. I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm not someone who takes certain things in life seriously. I do. But in my own life, I, I am not necessarily very earnest or serious. And I, if given a choice, I will, you know, I will make the joke. If I can think of the joke, I will make the joke unless it is utterly inappropriate and i do not know any of the people there but yeah well i encourage you to keep making the joke because that's one of the things that makes your your writing so uh, i think ultimately uh, quite powerful and affecting because uh, as you say i mean when you come to something like murder and death there's two ways to approach it. You you can either say, okay, well, everybody comes to an end, might as well be buying now, or you can kind of <laughs> t- try to make a, a bad joke about it and, and, you know, like push yourself into the next moment and keep making jokes till you no longer have to, to push yourself into the moments past the tragedies that beset any and all of us. Yeah. I mean, I've always believed there's like, actually a lot more dignity to comedy than drama so that's i stand by that and i live by it well uh, that's a, a a great motto we can uh, we'll be quoting you about that <laughs> uh, lisa what are, are you working on now and and maybe you could discuss tell us a little bit how you work on things do you like start and finish one thing exclusively are things hanging out before and after and you're thinking oh wow now i get back to this thing i was working on two years ago and and now i understand what to do with it i don't tend to work on different things um i will say that like uh this book uh the accomplice was i worked on half of it and then i stopped and wrote the entirety of the swallows and had that published and then i went back to uh back to it but that was only because i felt like i I really needed to get the swallows um done during a specific period of time uh but that's the only time i've ever done that well no no no, that's not true I, i did it once before with how to start a fire but um i'd like to write all the way through 
And when you ask, what am I working on now? For the last uh, six months, I've been trying to sell my house in upstate New York. And I have recently, and I I've eventually sold it. And I've basically, the last six months or longer have been spent moving or trying to move. So I have not actually gotten any work done, which is now, now is the time for me to start working. Um, and I, I'm slower than I used to be. And the general process is to just kind of think a lot about ideas and things that might keep me engaged. I mean, I have a, I have a very general idea of what I will be working on next, which is a sort of a big sort of family crime novel. Um, and all I know is that there will be some reference to do-it-yourself dentistry and uh, golf. I think there will be golf in it or someone trying to like stop a golf course being built. And I realized that that doesn't sound like a great book, but... Oh, oh no, it sounds great already. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds terrifying and hilarious at the same time. What more can we ask for from life than terror and hilarity? <laughs> Thank you. All right. I feel so much better about it now. <laughs> I've been speaking with Lisa Lutz. Her new novel is The Accomplice. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Thanks, Rick. It's always fun talking here. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.